I always got plans. Um, but I was standing on the side, and I felt like the Lord just asked a question. He said, when did I quit being enough? So that's my question. When did Jesus quit being enough? When, when, when did we let go of just needing his presence to invade us? When did we begin to add to it? I think that, but, you know, Paul will teach us how to do church. The idea is that we come together and we bring a psalm and a hymn and a spiritual song and a scripture and an idea and It's just the, it's the only question I can hear in my head right now. It's when did Jesus stop being enough? See, if you guys keep playing, I'll never pull my emotions together. Thank you for your tenderness. I appreciate it. What I mean by the question isn't aggressive. It's not hurtful. It's just. I think it's an honest assessment for us as the people of God. When did we get to the place where we needed more than him to be complete? I know the subject matter becomes incredibly serious. We sang this phrase, you're still my first love. And everything about it's like, yeah, you are. That word trust came up a bunch. Came up a bunch in where I was at in Romans this week. And I just want us to sit with that question. In my life, where has Jesus quit being enough? Where are the places that I've needed to add? Because I quit letting him satisfy my heart. I would love to offer that this is not just a word for vintage, this is a word for the church at large. When did Jesus stop being enough? When did the pursuit of your king stop being your aim? Because in that question is hidden a tutorial to get back. The answer is, come back to your first love. Come back to the innocence of, you're enough. We used to sing a song, Chris Tomlin wrote a song called More Than Enough, and the lyric was all of you is more than enough, and I would lead it a lot as a worship leader, and I would have this inner monologue going on the whole time, and the monologue went like this, you're a liar. You're saying all of you is more than enough, but that's not how you live. You need to add all these things. You have all these places of pursuit and ambition, all these things that would add to your sense of purpose, and the truth is, if there's any of those He's left being enough. You see, the simplicity of the kingdom is this. We come to him, we find in him all that we need. He becomes enough. We give our lives to him and we follow his guidelines, the way he says to live. Because we've just said, you're really all I need. Everything else is a gift. 
So I will never leave the way you said to live. I won't leave it in my relationships. I won't leave it in my workplace. I won't leave it in my home. I won't leave it in my spiritual life. I'm just going to stay really close to you because hidden in this statement is you're enough. This gathering, I would say, is called preaching to the proverbial choir. I love this gathering. It's, a, it's, a, it's populated with people that are in deep adoration with Jesus who've made the decision, yeah, as for me, just give me him. That's all I care about. I love that. But I would still ask us, when did he stop being enough? In what ways and what places have we decided we needed him and? My heart's not to be critical. It's not to be condemning. But there is something reserved for the bride of Christ. It's only reserved for the bride of Christ. And anything short of him being enough is spiritual adultery. Anything short of him being our pursuit is spiritual adultery. And I say it with a lot of weight and a lot of heaviness. The church at large right now is guilty of spiritual adultery. We've let the business of the church and the building of the church and the popularity of social media and all of it begin to take precedent. Paul makes a statement that says, He must be preeminent in the church. This thing only works one way. It only works when he's at the center. It only works when he's high and lifted up. Because that's when his train fills the temple. The glory of the Lord will never be released upon a people that don't hold him as their first love. There's a verse I want to get to, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it when I get there. So, No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes we aren't obeying it. I got to get a Kleenex just a second. I'm just going to get a box. The clearer it becomes, we aren't obeying it. But now, God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight. Not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sin. And we can all be saved the same way, no matter who we are and what we've done. We can all be made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus. There's no question today the word is capital T, capital R, capital U, capital S, capital T. The question is, how do we define that? 
We've become so academic in our pursuit of him. How many understand academic marriages are pretty lame? Academic relationships are, they lack the, the, the thing that makes them beautifully human, which is passion, heat, connection. I'd love to just submit a really simple answer, and that is the Lord's inviting us back into a place of connection. Think about your relationships. What is the one fundamental necessary for connection? Surrender. You have to become vulnerable enough to surrender yourself to somebody else. Whether that's a friendship, then you just get honest and intimate, whether that's a marriage, and when we take it to the first, furthest extent of that nakedness and that vulnerability, or whether it's with your king. There's so many places that we let surrender leave our purview. We justify it, we make room for, for those things. Sometimes it's attitudes and ambition, other times it's offense. I love this statement. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus. I'd love to invite us into just the core base gospel. Your life surrendered to him. That's how this works. Your work, your home, your retirement plans, whatever it is. My most difficult wrestle, now I'm 49, um, so I'm in my 50th year. I had this deep plan for when I wanted out, what I wanted life to look like post-work. And the Lord has been severely dealing with me, not in harshness, he's, he's never harsh, he's so, so soft. But his request of me was, I would love to invite you to surrender your plans to me. And what came out of me is what I think comes out in all of us. But how do I know I can trust you with my future? How do I know you want for me what I want for me? And church, I think that idea permeates so many aspects of who we are. I don't think it just deals with retirement. I think it deals with our marriages. I think it deals with our workplace. It deals with our sin patterns. The root issue is, do I trust you? Do I believe you have my best interest at heart? Do I believe if I yield my life to you and I sign it away that you are faithful to take care of me? Why am I calling that out? Because the move of God that he's trying to release into this house is a move of his spirit that's weighty and it's heavy, but it's rooted in trust. It's rooted in a people that have determined that there must be in me a vulnerability where I'm wholly and completely surrendered to him. And the only way that I'm going to ever get where he wants me to go, carry what he wants me to carry, be who he wants me to be, is by openly, fully surrendering all of my arguments, 
all of my perspectives. This is fully not what was in my notes. It's a couple tiny bits. I just want us to think through this question. Where is Jesus no longer enough? Because I can't say I trust him if there's areas in my life that I don't. We have to become honest in our statements to him. I would rather hear you say, I mostly trust the Lord. Well, what do you mean? Eh, there's a couple areas I don't trust him yet. You're like, well, that's, odd. that's the wrong thing to say. Oh, I fully agree. But at least it's honest. Or perhaps we take a different approach. We say, hey, Holy Spirit, we sang these really cool words to you. I want to become more aware of your presence. So maybe I would invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to expose the places in me that I don't trust the Lord. You see, Psalms will say it this way. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we, the people of God, have made a decision to remember the name of the Lord. It's become, it's a code for us. Every place I find that I lean towards chariots and horses, you're like, what are chariots and horses? You know, strength, resource, my own ability. Chariots and horses represent the way men go to war, the way they attack life. The remembering of the name of the Lord is the way the people of God attack life, which is it will never be said of me that I, I'm willing to lean on my own strength. I'm always going to surrender my strength in favor of his voice. The beautiful thing when that happens is then his voice is released into our lives and our strength becomes part of his purpose. He allows our internal strength as co-laborers with him to kick into action because we're now under the authority of his voice and we're not sitting adjunct from his voice competing with it. You better have written that down because I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> so where? Where in your life is he no longer enough? Because those are the places where trust has to be rebuilt and reestablished. How many have ever had the Lord whisper something to you that you had a hard time believing? I have several of these, and I always tell them the same thing. Just want to be clear, it's not your fault that I don't believe you. I have an issue with belief. I have an issue with trust. He said something to me three weeks ago that shook me. He said, I cannot fix in you what you're unwilling to release to me. I knew what the invitation was. Trust me with what I said. You see, we trust a lot, but a lot of times we trust our own instinct over the Lord's. It's not that we struggle to trust, it's just that we haven't figured out where to place our trust. And so we trust our mind, we trust our heart, we trust our appetite over his voice. You have, one, you have to trust somewhere. You either trust you or you trust him. I either trust the stock market or I trust him. I either trust the news or I trust him. I think the heart cry of the Holy Spirit today for us is, hey, come on, come back and rack 
rectify the places where Jesus isn't enough. You're like, I don't know where those are. Cool, he'll let you know. He's the guide, he's the teacher, given to bring conviction for sin, to lead us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is absolutely not weak nor slack. The reason we don't see more of the Holy Spirit in the church at large right now is because there's no welcoming of him to be God. We tend to want to add him as an addendum to faith instead of releasing ourselves, surrendering ourselves to him as the absolute expression of the king of glory. The Holy Spirit is the essence of the Father. I don't fully understand Trinitarian theology, but I know it's in there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was to be the strength of the church. Our root and our trust is in Jesus, living under the care of the Father. Could I suggest that the places we refuse to surrender to the Lord quench the Holy Spirit? It's not that he's mad, he's not. Grieved is different. Deeply aware of what he can do for us, through us, in our day and in our time, in the world we live in. Not in the New Testament world, in this world. There's not been a moment where anything's happened in history that the Holy Spirit wasn't capable of superseding. But he has limited himself in some crazy way by his own intentions to only be willing to move on the earth at the level that surrendered humans will partner with him. If we understand the magnitude of that, we now feel the weight as the church. It is incumbent upon us to surrender to him so that the purpose of God can be established in our day and in our time. All right, I'm done. Let's stand. That is a one and done. I have no idea what I said. Good luck. (laughs) Lord, we do stand before you with a deep awareness. There are places where we've quit letting you be enough. There are places where we've decided that what we know is better. Places where our own fear of trusting you has held us hostage. Lord, I can't ask this for anybody but me. But I'll lead us into asking you. Please expose those places. May that phrase, you're still my first love, be true. May we be a people who could stand before you with a clear heart clear conscience, an unveiled face and say, you are absolutely my first love. You are absolutely my only hope. I love you, love what you do, love the way you move, love how gentle and tender and I love how when given, given permission, you take over. Please hear our heart more 
take over more. Root this house, establish this house. Root this city, establish this city as a place where your glory dwells. That your people would carry your presence, reveal your image, that we would put away childish things. And in that surrender, we'd see your restoration, personally, publicly, We love you. We say yes and amen to you.